it's so, so easy to have invisible walls grow up between us. So, so easy, and it happens to all of us. These invisible walls that grow up between people and keep them apart. That feeling that you get when you're apart from someone, when you're separate from someone, when someone is against you or away from you, that distance that we feel sometimes from people. And it happens with us and God, too, that distance. I don't feel close to him right now. It happens with husbands and wives. We don't feel close. It happens with church family. We don't feel close. It's like an invisible wall has kind of like slowly crept up between us. And it might be invisible, but it's solid. There's no getting through that. It's just there. It's tangible. You can almost feel it. You can feel the iciness of the cold shoulder of the person on the other side of the invisible wall. You can feel the the lack of love and warmth coming because it can't get through that wall. And we build the wall brick by brick. You know, one comment made to another person by us. Another comment made to us by another person. And invisibly, brick by brick, we build these walls. And then there's so many bricks in the pile. The wall's gotten so high, like, how do you take it apart brick by brick? How do you get through it? At some point, you're just apart from others. And so instead of having people together, God's happy family with his very good idea, we have people separated from each other. This happens economically. You have people who have high-paying jobs and people who are struggling to make ends meet, and they're separate. And the comments made by the people with lots of money and the comments made by people with none Build this invisible wall of, I'm different from you, you're different from me. Either you're lesser than me and I'm greater than you, or I can't relate to you, or you're only saying that because of your situation, or if you only knew what it would be like to walk a mile in my shoes. We feel like we, we can't talk to someone. If we go and you know, serve a meal at the homeless shelter, what sort of conversations are we going to strike up with our brothers and sisters, children of God, whether or not they believe in him and accept him, they're children of his. He's still their father, even if they reject him. What kind of conversations? Are we going to know where to start? There most certainly is an invisible wall between the homeless communities and people who live in homes, live in cities, live in apartments. How do you talk? How do you feel? Do you judge one another? Do you prejudge? Do we have a mental image in our mind of what it's like to be homeless? Like, ah, homeless people. They put themselves on the street by bad decisions. They're all drug addicts. They all have emotional problems. That's the reason why they're there. Do we have what our speaker from last week called a single story about the homeless? That's what they are. And so we prejudge them, which is prejudice, prejudging someone as a type of person versus a child of God, versus our brother or our sister. We're all people. We're supposed to be people together. But we're people divided. We're so good at dividing ourselves. And we build these invisible walls. But once they're up, they're really up. It happens between races. It happens between genders. It happens between economic groups. It happens between theological groups. It happens between the young and the old. What do we want to make as the middle line of middle age? Is it 50 here? 100 is a lot, zero is a little, so 50 is the middle. So is anybody over 50? Look at the next generations and be like, ah, kids these days. The next generation, 
They don't know the things that we know. Do you prejudge all the people in that category? Is there a wall in your mind? If you are over that line, can you easily just walk up to someone who's 20 and start a conversation, or do you feel like you don't have anything in common? You wouldn't know what to talk about, and they're different than you. That's the invisible wall I'm talking. They're not just a person anymore. They're a category, and maybe even a single story, a single category. That's never going to lead to relationship. That's never going to lead to the older and the younger being in connection and learning from one another and thriving because they're bound together and growing because of that interaction. That's just going to resolve itself into categories of people, the young and the old, the rich and the poor. And often, usually, whatever category we in, we think it's this way. So we're the better for this reason, and if only they could. And we know because of this, and if only they learn. It pretty often turns into this instead of just this. Politically, if you're a part of a political party, pick our two big ones here, Republican and Democrat. It's not usually just in your mind or in my mind, Republican Democrat. It's either like Republican Democrat or Democrat Republican. It doesn't end like, oh, a difference of opinion. That's very nice. It's like, here's where you're wrong and here's why I'm right. So do we have any invisible walls with politics in our country? They're not even so invisible, probably. <laughs> but we're all people. And whether we agree on points or disagree on points, aren't we supposed to be one people? We can't leave these walls up. If you're in a marriage right now where you feel like there's an invisible wall that's grown up between you and your spouse, you can't settle for that. Don't let it stand. Don't. Fight to tear that wall down because otherwise you'll just stay in two separate places as two separate people and lose all of the joy and power of being together. And if the wall went up, it can come down somehow. We usually don't know how, but it can. It wasn't there and now it is. So when up, it can come down. But maybe it's between you and God. I just don't feel close to him. I pray and I don't hear him saying anything. I used to feel something and then I don't. There's just a gap, an invisible wall. And maybe you built that wall. God, why'd you let this happen? Put in a block. Maybe he built the wall. He says, this place in your life is not right. That's sin. And we see that barrier, the sin, what's blocking us from God. And then we pray and don't get a prayer answered. And, and the blocks keep building up. And then we're in the world and we have relatives who don't believe at all. And they're like, why do you believe that? How can you believe in a God? And then the bricks are going in. And next thing you know, you and God are separated by it. That's not okay. You can't stand for that. You have to tear down the walls can't just leave it. You know, with the walls, we all just stay apart forever. Just that's it. But if those walls come down, then we get to come together. We don't have to be kept apart. And this is what we talked about last week. The cross is the crossroads between all these various groups. Jesus brings people who are different and connects them. He takes people who are separated from God and he connects them. The cross is a crossroads, and everybody can meet at the cross. The Bible says there's no such thing as a man or woman when it comes to your value in God's eyes. There are differences, sure, but you're the same. You're people, and Jesus loves you. So there's no such thing as slave or um, free. So there's no such thing in our economic classes of different sorts of people, people with more money, people with less, people with heart. No, just people. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no, like, the sacred few and then the hated many. 
There's just people, and some respond to God's call, and some reject him. But the cross is the equalizer. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. God loves you. It doesn't wait for us to be perfect. It said God loves you anyway. He'll forgive you. The cross is a beautiful thing. It crosses racial lines. It crosses economic lines. It crosses gender lines. And it just brings people together. So we're good at building the walls, the invisible walls. We will do that. I will do that. You will do that. And the world around us is going to be trying to put blocks in our invisible wall too. All that prejudging. When you're a guy and you're hanging out with the guys, they're going to talk about, yeah, you know women, and they're going to put another brick in the wall between you and your woman. And women, when you're hanging out with your worldly women friends, they're going to be like, yeah, you know men. They're going to put another brick in that wall that's slowly building between you and the men in your life. Maybe between you and your sons. Fathers, maybe between you and your daughters. How many people here have siblings? Well, not everybody does, but I assumed it would be the majority. Ever had an invisible wall between you and your siblings? Absolutely. And it happened because they did this thing that once, or I didn't do that thing that once. Or we live in different places now, and so we don't talk too much anymore. Or Uncle so-and-so said this or did this. Or whatever. And brick by brick by brick by brick, our invisible walls go up. And all of a sudden, we're not close to them anymore. We're not together. We do it all the time, and we do it easily question is, how do you tear it down? How? So we've talked all about this isolating pattern that we have over the last couple of weeks. We don't need to reiterate it more than I just did. Today we talk about how to tear it down. Practical advice. So if you can identify a wall in your life right now, maybe many walls, maybe it's between you and God, maybe it's between you and other people, does not matter. It's the same thing. We're meant to be together with God. God wants a personal relationship with us. He's trying to do this with the cross. He's trying to connect. And we're meant to be together as brothers and sisters, all people, no difference. Jesus said, you are all brothers, quote unquote, period. And you have one father who's your father in heaven. So it doesn't matter if we speak the same language, if we live in the same part of the world, if we agree with one another, if we fight with one we are all brothers and sisters, so God wants us together with him. God wants us together. And the cross is the place that makes that happen. But that's too theoretical. And God knows that. And that's why he gives us scripture. There is an amazing, power-packed scripture passage that I want to read today that gives us five ways to tear down these walls. It talks about two enemies that are going to be fighting against us every way, trying to keep those walls up and build on the walls, but it gives us a weapon to fight against those enemies, to overcome those, because like was prayed earlier, Jesus has overcome the world. This does not have to still be done. He's there as the victor waiting to help us. He's already run the race, knows all the obstacles, and will get us there. It talks about the weapon, and then it gives us a practical example of what it looks like. So I want you to be thinking, I want to be thinking, where are these walls? And I want Scripture to teach us how to take them down. So please open your Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, there are Bibles under your seats, maybe you have one on your phone. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going today, and just the first, I think, 16 verses of it. We'll read it once, and then we'll go back through it and just dig and dig and dig. I want to say one more thing before we get into tearing down walls. Do you remember the place in the Bible where it's in Ephesians, where the Bible says that Jesus 
has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Remember that? So Jesus came and he preached peace, God's peace, to people who were close, like literally close. Jerusalem, the Jewish people, who he came to first, his disciples, close. But he also preached peace to those who were far away. So he preached to those not just Jewish, not just in Jerusalem. And he commissioned his disciples and church to go out and preach not just them. So this is a global message of peace. But think about the word, the dividing wall of hostility. Hostility. These walls that grow up, they're not neutral. They're hostile. When you have someone on the other side of the wall, you are apart from them, different from them, and you begin to become hostile to them. Why do you put up a wall? We're going to put up a wall around this state. We're going to put up a wall around our family. It's to keep things out. Why? Because the bad's on the outside, on the other side. If something bad's going up here, we want to put a wall up to protect ourselves, to keep the bad over there. So we're judging what's on the other side. We're protecting or hiding or we're blocking. Maybe we're trying to trap in so that we don't have the bad come out. Into, the walls are not neutral. If you're keeping the wall up, you're saying that what's on the other side is bad. And that's what ends up happening. The more and the longer that those walls stay up, the more we see the people on the other side as our enemy. This happens with racism. This happens with economic judgment. This happens with marriage. This happens with siblings. You know, pick whatever examples that we want. The longer that we stay apart from someone, the more on the other side we can't connect with them, we don't relate to them, we see them as not just a person on another side, but there's a wall there, and that person is our enemy. Hostility grows with distance. Hostility grows with time. The longer the wall's up, the worse that that person seems. You know, someone says something, and it's kind of like, you're going to wear that today? It's like some offhanded, rude comment about your, your clothing, right? It doesn't really mean that much, but it's whatever. But then you don't talk to that person for the whole rest of the day, and maybe you don't see that person the next day. And by two days later, you're pretty convinced that that person hates you and that they've judged everything you've ever worn as the most disgusting thing they've ever seen. And who are they to judge? Because don't they see what they're wearing? And how could they say that to you? And don't, like, whoa, people. Whoa, how'd that get so big so fast? Because the wall's hostile. It will make you an enemy of the person on the other side. Whether you started that way or not, it's going to make it that way. And so God is here to say, here's my cross. <laughs> I am ending hostilities. This is a peace treaty. I offer you a truce. I want to meet with you. I don't want any more walls. We are going to be one. As we serve and meet with our homeless friends, we are one with them. The same. The same. There's no difference. Unless we make it. Because in God's eyes, there's no difference. So how do we tear down those walls? We get to the practical side. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Let's just read it, and then we'll go back in and pull all the pieces together. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, so if you've got any encouragement from Christ, if there's anything in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if you've ever gotten any of that, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if you've ever had any like, participation with God's Spirit, if you've ever received, if there's any affection in you at all, 
If there's any sympathy that you can muster up in your heart or that you've ever experienced, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours. It's your mind in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and unto the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So therefore, my beloved family, church, brothers, sisters, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my absence, but much or my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling, because it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or complaining or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So that's where we want to get. We want to be the kind of people that shine in the darkness, holding on to this message of reconciliation. God has made us ambassadors of reconciliation. It's not just his his message. It's our message. We've been commissioned with it. So do what Jesus did. He was actually with God. He was God. It's exactly what John 1 said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But he became flesh because he wasn't okay leaving the invisible wall up between people and God. He's like, no, that's coming down. And so in his humility, he put away all the things that made him special, and he became like us. And even below us, like boost us up over the wall, if you want to think it that way. He made himself nothing for our benefit. He considered us better than himself, but he was equal with God. And so we're supposed to do that with each other, and we're supposed to do that with God. It's our mission. So we want to end up there, but we've got to figure out how to get there, and this is where the tools come in. Like I said, Paul here gives the church in Philippi, the Philippian church, the Philippians, five tools. First one is encouragement in Christ. When you're on the other side of the wall with someone, one of the bricks is you putting that person down and you feeling better about yourself when they feel worse about themselves. There is a putting down brick. (laughs) You put that other person down and the brick goes in. Encouragement is the other way. Encouragement is I'm going to lift you up and make you feel good about yourself. I am going to come alongside you like the Holy Spirit, parakletos, called alongside to boost you. I'm going to be the person that you can put your arm over the shoulder so I can lift you up. You can't do that on the other side of the wall. And if you're offering that, you are slowly but surely chipping away 
at the bricks that you put up in the first place, or that they put up, or that Satan put up. Satan's constantly putting bricks in our wall. He's active at it. The world's putting bricks in our walls. Do you seek to encourage and lift up and support the people on the other side? This is kind of what our winter mission over at L Street Mission is about. We want to try to like chip away at the wall between us and our neighbors by encouraging them, supporting them, stepping alongside and building them up. You will not do this for an enemy because you're trying to beat him. But you will do this for a brother or sister because you love them. If there's any encouragement in Christ, meaning if you've ever been encouraged by Christ, If you can ever look back in your life at any time and say, Jesus boosted me, then you know what that tool looks like and you know what it felt like. And it's almost like, how dare you not do the same thing for the person on the other side of that wall? If you've got to like throw a rope over and like help pull them up because the wall's still so big, do something. You will chip away at the walls between you and people by encouraging Siblings, if you're at odds with each other, or spouses, if you're at odds with each other, church family members, if we're at odds with each other, if you're at odds with your neighbor, at odds with your boss, try encouraging them. The boss who always ridicules you and puts you down in the workplace, why don't you try chipping away at that wall by encouraging them? I'm not doing that. They don't deserve that. Right? And neither did you when God loved you first. So do it anyway. See what happens. we prejudge people and put them in categories, we're not about to go in there and lift them out of the categories. That's where we put them. If you've ever been encouraged even one minute of your life by Jesus, do that, and it will bring people together. How about the second one? Any comfort from love? 2 Corinthians 1, we read just maybe a month or so ago, The comfort that we ourselves have received from God is what we use to comfort other people. That's what it is for. We have not been comforted so that we can selfishly just feel better. We have been comforted so that we can know what it looks like, so that when we see it out here, we can be God's hands and feet and do the multiply and give the comfort, because now we've got it in our tool belt. God gives us comfort so that we can use it when it's needed. So if you've ever received any comfort, if you've ever mourned a loved one's passing, if you've ever cried that desperate cry and felt that comfort that comes from love and known what that meant to you, do that for the people on the other side of your wall. Give them some comfort. What does it cost you to comfort someone who's opposed to you? doesn't mean you agree with the things that you're in conflict about. doesn't mean you agree on all points. It's just doing what God did for us and showing comfort through love, regardless of whether it's deserved. That's what grace is. It's not deserved. But that will tear down the wall. And think about these two side by side. What if someone has been encouraged by you? They start to think more kindly towards you, maybe, or just wonder why you're doing that. And if you seek to comfort them, Because at one point, God comforted you, and you know how good it is, so you're willing to share it. That will turn them towards you. Maybe they take a few bricks out of the wall, too, or maybe not. But that's God's love, too. He offers the reconciliation, and not everybody will take it. So better for him never to offer it? No. 
He does the grace. And then we see what others do with their participation in the wall. If there's ever any comfort, use it. Chip away at the wall. Any participation in the spirit. If you've ever had God come alongside you and felt a part of something, a part of a spiritual something, if you've ever been partners with God, then turn around and partner with someone else. What would it look like to say to the person on the other side of the wall, can we do this together? What if both people recognize the wall is there? What if you both partnered in the Spirit's work of tearing that wall down? Like, I know you and I don't see eye to eye on this, but it's not good for us to be divided. Would you partner with me and figure out what we're going to do about this? I'm not against you. I don't hate you. I don't want to leave the wall up, but it's up. Partnership. One person can't just solve the whole problem by themselves, but what if we partnered together? Have you ever felt what it's like when a church family comes alongside you or where God partners you in his work and now something greater can happen? That will tear down the walls bit by bit, or maybe chunk by chunk. And all together, now all these three things, now you've got someone who's looking to work with you for the greater good of all, who's offering things like comfort, even when it's not deserved, and offering encouragement or support, even in disagreement, then takes us to the last two. Four, affection. Do we really have to hate everything about a person? if we're fighting with them about this part of their person? If someone is judgmental or critical or you know, picks some sort of character trait that is really difficult to deal with, and that part of what they're working on, that part of their, you know, the pie, that slice of pie is just terrible, do we need to despise everything else about them? Are they really 100% evil? If not, then we can have affection and compassion and love for what's good in them. And we can pray for what God's still working on. What if instead of someone coming to you and being against you, they say, this part of what we have between us is not good, but I love this and this and this about you. I have great affection for you because of these lovely parts of you. But this part is cancerous. This part is rotting. This part is killing you. It's killing me. It's building the wall. And we can't leave it up. Got to tear it down. How would the person on the other side of that barrier feel? Love, 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 struggle. That's much better than struggle. <sighs> Baby out with the bathwater. How about the last one? Sympathy. We see our own struggles easily enough. Oh, if they knew what I had to go through, or they don't have this, or they don't have that. What if we just have sympathy for what they go through? Watch a documentary about a, um, a Mexican woman. I just saw it last night, and uh, she came over illegally into America to send money home to support her daughter's education, you know, to provide for her family back there. So she didn't do it the right way. She says that, you know, like, I came in the way I shouldn't, but I did it for these reasons. We could say, 
look at how this person broke the law. But the sympathy part of bridging that gap would be, how hard must it have been for her to leave her family, who she still has not seen, per this recording, for eight years? What would that be like for us? So whether she chose the best method or whether she did the right way or what... Can we have sympathy on the hardship that must be to never see your daughter for eight years, maybe never again, who knows, just for her good? And she was one of those people that had like run across the desert, you know, 15 hours in the desert running, expecting to be shot at or killed. That fear, that like, was it the right thing or the wrong thing? That, that's a question, and we can discuss that, but can we at least have sympathy for what it cost her, willing to put her life on the line? This is the single story versus the humanity of all people that we need to at least wrestle with. And if we're going to build any bridges between people, we cannot just see our side of the story. We also need to see their side of the story. And we can leave the walls up and be like, well, that's it. Or we can say, what what would participation look like with her and with us? Maybe finding ways to allow her to do legally what she began illegally. Maybe. What would encouragement, what would affection for her, you know, breaking the law in order to provide for her daughter. Like, can we have any sympathy or affection for her in that way? The questions to ask, right? Rather than just walls to build. So those are our five. I said to you there were two enemies that are going to be seeking to keep these walls up between us all the time. It's in verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Those are the two enemies. Rivalry is about winning. You're on this team, I'm on this team, and I'm going to win. Do you really win if you try to win an argument instead of meeting halfway? Do you really win if you overpower your opponent? Is there winning that ends up with relationship afterwards, with unity? Maybe yes, maybe no, but rivalry is this attitude like, I'm against you and I'm going to win. Do nothing, the Bible says, out of rivalry. That's the separation of people this way, and we're good at that. Jesus says, nope, you're just people. Don't be against each other. Don't compete. What would it look like if we removed competition from our marriages? If we weren't competing to be the better person, if we weren't competing to make more money, if we weren't competing to be the better parent, if we weren't competing to have more friends, if we weren't competing to be more hardworking, if we weren't competing against each other to be more spiritual, what if we were just together? Rivalry is competition. Someone's going to win, that means someone's going to lose. That doesn't end up in reconciliation. So don't do anything out of rivalry. Don't try to win. Try to make peace. And don't do anything out of conceit. Conceit is the up and down level. I'm better than you. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. But Jesus and grace say, yeah, but there but for the grace of God go I. So I could have been the one saying that or doing that. And if I did, I would love that undeserved favor so we could make this right. So you know what? I'm not going to look down on you for that. I'm going to consider you better than myself. I'm going to look up to you and figure out how I can come alongside you. This is about being right. Rivalry is about winning. Conceit is about being right and wrong. Well, I know what I think about this, and I'm right. We can think that way in our theology. We can think that way in our ethics. We can think that way in our economics. We can think, well, I'm right. We think that way in our politics. We can think that way in everything. I'm right and wrong. So now you have the division because there's the right and the wrong instead of just the people. Just people. Just God's people. 
with different opinions. And some may be right and some may be wrong, but when we identify with us being the right and them being the wrong, that's conceit. The Bible says do nothing out of the desire to just be right. Because if you're right and they're wrong, you will never end up together. But if the cross is all about humbling ourselves, then that'll bring us together no matter how far apart we are. It's a crossroads. So these are the two enemies. You will be tempted and I will be tempted to become conceited, to feel like we are right, and it will justify all the bricks that we put into the wall. But it's not about whether it's justified or not, because grace is undeserved. So that's an irrelevant statement. It's about the fact that we're called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And so where we see the wall, we chip away at it. But conceit, the fact that we know we're right, is going to tempt us to put more bricks in and to leave that wall up. And rivalry. Do nothing out of a sense of rivalry. Do not consider your church better than another church or yourself better than another person. It's not that sort of thing. Because if you win, then the other person loses. You don't end up together. But the cross says all are one in Christ, so don't try to win. Try to unite. So those are your two enemies. Jesus was tempted with these things, right? All the world could be yours. Bow down to me instead of God. I'll do all these things. And he's like, no, I'm not going to be better than I'm going to come together with. And I'm not going to be righter than or different than I'm going to be one with. I'm trusting God alone. This is his plan. And I have all the power in the universe at my disposal, but I am not going to exercise it because my goal is to bring people together in unity, not to leave them apart. So I could, but I'm not going to. I'm here for them. I'm here to get to that cross so we can bring all people together. Rivalry and conceit. The weapon against it is humility. I've stated it not in so many words, but this is what is immediately stated. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Don't try to win. Don't try to be right. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Just think of them as worth more than you. Because from that perspective, if they're more worth, they have more value, then you like try to serve up to them. Have sympathy towards them, love towards them, instead of looking down and judging them from afar, prejudging, which is prejudice. Now, here's the strategy. I said there were two things, the example of Christ and the strategy. The strategy here in verse 4 is how do you best make use of all these tools, of your sympathy, of your affection, of your encouragement, of your love, all these, how do you make best use of it? Verse 4, let each of you look. Look, listen, learn, see it. What if the person that's out of the wall just looked at you and was like, I see you, I get it. What if we looked at our homeless neighbors and be like, I see you, I get it. Look, don't know beforehand, don't judge and decide beforehand, prejudging, prejudice. You've just decided already what category people are in and why. Single story. No. Have this mind. Look. Don't just look at yourself and what it costs you, and don't just look at yourself and how justified you are, and don't just look at yourself from our narrow worldview. We've only experienced what we've experienced. So even if some of these bricks have been built unintentionally, it doesn't matter. The bricks are still there. An unintentionally built invisible wall is still an invisible wall. I didn't mean to say those things, or I didn't mean to do that. Okay, fine, but it's there now. We're going to need to chip away at it. And how I'm going to do that is I'm going to look through the invisible wall, and I'm going to see you on the other side of it. I'm going to see you. I'm going to look at you. Good Samaritan type stuff. I'm not going to look away when I walk by the needy person. I'm going to look at it. I'm not going to see someone who's angry sitting at the kitchen table. I'm not going to see the caller on caller ID and know there's an angry voice on the end of that line and just ignore it. 
I'm going to see you. I'm going to look you in your eyes, and I will see you. I'm not just going to look in the mirror and look at myself. I'm going to see you. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to look at the needs. I'm going to look at the brokenness. I'm going to look at people and recognize that people are people are people, and God loves them. And I'm going to use things like encouragement and comfort and participation, partnership and uh, affection and sympathy because while I'm looking at you, I'm going to see which of those tools we need to use and what's going to work. Have to tear down those walls. You, and maybe for all of us, they'll just be different ones. So only you know in this moment what God's putting the Holy Spirit right now is like popping into your mind. There's a wall, and there's, well, maybe we have hundreds of them up. Or maybe there's just one really, really big one. Doesn't matter. Same tools, same enemies, same weapon, same strategy, and Jesus is the proof. He just did it, and it worked, and it does work, and you can trust him. He'll make it happen. Let's pray.